The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to take your Bibles now, if you would, and open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. And our study today is about the failure of Peter and his denial of our Lord. Jesus told all of the disciples that they would deny him. In his hour of deepest need, there was not going to be any of the disciples that would stand with him. But Peter's denial was actually more intense because... More than the others, Jesus said to him that before the night was over, that Peter would not deny him just one time, but he would deny him three times. Now, while you're looking there at Matthew 26, let me read two verses to you from Matthew chapter 10. And this is the chapter where it's described how Jesus chose 12 men to be the apostles of the church. Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, Jesus said, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Now you can see that Jesus set a very high standard for his followers. In that same chapter, he described how badly they would be hated because of their association with him. He said that there would be strife and division even in their own families because of them, of him. He said that people would persecute them, that they would seek their lives. And yet no matter the difficulty that they faced, Jesus still said that they were to remain faithful no matter the cost. Now the cost to them, if they did deny Christ was that he, they could not be his disciples. And he said further that I will deny you before my Father that is in heaven. Now we need to keep those scriptures in mind as we read this text today. And we'll see how this played out in Peter's life on the night that Jesus went to trial to be crucified. Now if you look at Matthew chapter 26, let's stand if you would please as we read God's word. Matthew 26, let me start at verse number 57. And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off under the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now if you go to verse number 69. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Father, thank you for the reading of your word today. 
help us to learn the lessons that we find in this passage and most importantly, how that we need to repent when we've sinned against you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. In this account, it appears that Peter had failed the test of discipleship that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, if you deny me, then I will deny you before my heavenly Father. And you can well imagine that after hearing those words of Matthew 10, that each of the disciples were more determined than ever to fulfill their mission for Christ. They must have fortified themselves against the massive trials that would come against them. And they were more determined than ever that they were not going to leave Jesus. They would not deny him. They would not fail him. And perhaps they never really clearly understood how deep those trials would be, how difficult the way would become, how much pressure would be on them in the trials. And they were determined, though, if there are any of those troubles that he mentions in Matthew 10 that should come upon them, there is no way that they're going to deny the Lord. Now we see that in their determination before Jesus came to Jerusalem on the Passion Week. Uh, You remember how that Thomas, who was one of the disciples that really had no faith, it seemed like, after the resurrection, that before Jesus went to Jerusalem, he said, well, if he's going there to die, then I'm going to go with him also. And each of these disciples held on to their reserve going into that Passion Week in the first four days of the week after the Passover meal had been eaten, after the Lord's Supper had been given. They reaffirmed their commitment to stand with him. Even when Jesus showed them out of the Old Testament how Scripture said that the the shepherd would be smitten and the sheep would be scattered, yet they refused to believe what Jesus said from the Old Testament or what Jesus had to say to them about denying him. And you can see the indignation at such a suggestion if you go back to verses 33 to 35. And Peter especially was insistent that it could not happen. He said, no way, Lord, that I'm ever going to deny you. He said, these others, they might deny you, but no matter what they do, I'm going to stand for you and I will never deny your name. Now at that point, Peter was fortified in his own mind that Christ should never have an opportunity to deny him before the Heavenly Father. And that determination showed up in action in just a few hours when it was Peter who stepped forward among the mob. When the mob came to arrest Jesus, he stepped forward in front of Jesus and he went out there and he wildly swung his sword and cut off a man's ear. He attacked 600 Roman soldiers. And I think that he thought that he could win because he'd just seen how that Jesus waylaid the whole group with just the sound of his voice. This is how much confidence that Peter had in Jesus. And in that moment, he must have had in his mind, See, Jesus, I told you so. I'm not going to deny you. I'm not afraid to stand up against all of these soldiers. But that changed when he saw that Jesus had no plans for defense, that Jesus was not going to waste the enemy, he realized there is no protection from death that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 10. And in just a few more minutes, it was not a mob that he faced. It was not hardened veterans of foreign wars that terrified him. No, instead it was a non-threatening young maiden. And before her, he couldn't stand. In a few more minutes, he encountered another young girl, same result. And then a third time, standing around the campfire, 
making conversation there, Peter crumbled, crumbled in fear. Now he was certain, at the beginning of this night, he was certain as he could be that, that he was not going to deny Christ. But as surely as the sun would rise the next morning, he would because Jesus said that it was going to happen. Now in our studies of Matthew, we've repeatedly encountered evidence that shows that there is no one but God that could have written the Bible. There is no one who would write a story like this and hold up the failures of Christianity's greatest leaders and expose their weaknesses. No one would do that but God. No one but God can take something like this and teach us a lesson without damaging the product in the process. And that's because God is not afraid that people are going to reject him because Christianity's claims are a mocking failure. He never worries about such things because he knows that there is never a person that comes to him without his sovereign power. That whenever Jesus wants followers, he overcomes their resistance by regeneration. He awakens them from spiritual death into spiritual life so that an unbeliever can become a believer. So God never concerns himself that there's never going to be real disciples. And so he's not afraid to tell the truth. He's not afraid to tell the truth of human weaknesses even when those weaknesses appear in his greatest disciples. Now to show you that God has a definite intent here in telling us this story, we see that this one is told in all four of the gospel accounts. There aren't many of the stories that appear in all four gospel accounts. Now sometimes there are details that one writer leaves out some of them include things the other ones don't include. Some of them concentrate on different areas. For example, you read Matthew, and Matthew is crowded with Jesus' miracles. We see Jesus in Galilee uh, healing multiple thousands of people and casting out demons. But then when we come to the Gospel of John, we don't read all of that. All we read is seven specific miracles that John mentions that Jesus did. And so if you see a story that's repeated in all four gospel accounts, you can be sure of this, that God has a lesson that he wants us to learn and to never forget. And that's not to diminish that if he tells us one time in the scriptures anything, we're not to forget that either. But Peter's failure is told here in all four gospel accounts because this is what God wants to show you. He wants to show you how easy that it is to deny him. That you're weak in your flesh. And it can take only a very slight provocation to cause us to fall if we're not prepared for it. If we're not prepared, we can find ourselves running away from Christ. Now, we, we Christians who always think that we're going to stand for Christ, despite whatever the greatest threats are, are going to find ourselves many times at work on Monday morning with a coffee cup in our hand in a different environment, and we're going to act like we don't know Christ at all. We pretend we don't know him. Our speech, our listening, our body language, our pretended ignorance of all things that are godly, all of that is denial. And it actually comes with no physical threat. Now we need to mark the words of Matthew 10 where Jesus said, If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my heavenly Father. Now this morning, I want us to examine Peter's failure and... Trace it from the point that it appears that Peter could face his greatest trial to the point that he was humbled and understood that the mighty have no strength that is not the Lord's. Now let's look at a few words that can help us 
to understand what's going on here. The first word would be the word confession. This is Peter's confession of Christ as Savior. I I don't think that we really need to argue that Peter was a saved man. Uh, You and I could only hope that we would give a confession like the one that Peter gave. Peter believed Christ. He believed Jesus. Even though he looked at a man that was just like him. Physically, there's no difference between Jesus and Peter. They look differently, obviously, but Jesus was a man. And yet Peter believed that he was the same in essence as God. That standing in front of him is the Son of God, even though he looked just like you and me. Now in chapter 16, Jesus, uh, Peter gave the most outstanding confession of Jesus that we find in Scripture. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now that is a marvelous confession. Standing there in Beneus, a place that was a haven of cult worship, of of heathen gods, of idols, of stone that can neither speak nor hear. Jesus, or Peter, looked at Jesus and he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said that amongst all the idols that stood there that could not speak, You are the living God. And we could expect that confession to be great because Jesus said, You didn't come to that conclusion on your own, Peter. It's my Father in heaven that revealed it to you. And isn't that interesting in light of what Jesus said in John 6:44? He said, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Now Peter was like all people that trust Christ. They don't come to Christ until they've been taught by God. That it's shown who Jesus is. And then scripture says they're drawn to him by the Father. And this is what Peter did. He articulated what was shown to him by the Father. And then Jesus said, you are blessed for that confession. Well, lest anyone should misunderstand, Peter spoke for the whole group. Every one of them believed the same except for Judas. But Peter's a little bit different. Peter's one stands out because he's a disciple that's been drawn into the inner fellowship with Jesus Christ. He's one of three that saw Jesus in the transfiguration. He's one of three that was invited into the inner part of the garden when Jesus was to be betrayed. Whenever we see Peter, he's standing at the top of the list of all the disciples. And so Peter had every reason to believe he was going to stand for Christ. And there was no way in his mind that he was going to fail. And that good confession that he made only accentuated the the belief that he's too strong to actually fall. And I think there are many of us that believe the same. And if you'll indulge me for just a bit, I know that preachers often believe it. We're very much aware that there's a tremendous responsibility for the preacher, the pastor of the church to be the rock of the congregation. I mean, there may be disciples that fall all around us, but we have to be the ones that are strong in the faith, unshakable in our faith. 
And yet, a very simple, common temptation can fell a preacher. Oh, you might think it takes wildly uncommon onslaughts of hundreds of demons to bring down a man who sits in his study all week long studying the Word of God. Surely he can't fall. What I can do, I'm not afraid at all to face heretics in the pulpit. I'm not afraid to stand up in somebody in face of somebody who is a liberal preacher or a conservative preacher either. I don't care if they have 14 letters after their name. I'm not afraid of that. But the same thing that brings you down will bring me down. Now, I may not be tempted by things like drugs and alcohol, those types of sins, but Satan surely does know the besetting sin that will get me. And you can bet this if you're... Well, maybe you better not bet, but you can count on this, that Satan knows what, what's going to bring me down, and he always makes that the focus of his attack. Now, what I'm talking about here is this is a mind game. This is not a physical threat that we're talking about. You're not likely that you're going to lose your life in the United States of America for standing for Jesus Christ. But you've got this mental thing that's going on. And all of us here in the Berean Baptist Church, where no doubt we do believe that we are hearing the truth, tomorrow there's going to be some little thing that can bring us down. And Peter's confession was good. It's the very best, in fact. He thought that he was strong. He had all the earmarks of a Christian that can't fall. He went quickly to the defense of Jesus. And then just as quickly... He fell into denial of him. The next word that we see is the word progression. What are the steps that led to Peter's failure? Well, always lurking in the background, there are little pieces that come together to cause a perfect storm of failure. And we need not hurry here from the high point of Peter's confession to the low point of his denial without seeing what happens in between. I mean, there's not an outward action that's not first conceived in the heart. So what is it that caused Peter to fall? Well, first I think we can speak of Peter's self-confidence. If you like the word pride better, you can put that into the blank. Peter had pride in the commendation that he had received from Jesus, and he was not going to accept what Jesus told him there in verses 33 to 35. He was told that denial was in his future, but... Peter rebuked the Lord. He said, that's not going to happen. He had confidence. Now, Peter looked at his past accomplishments and he took strength from what he was formerly able to do. This was months before that he made that confession of Christ. So he took confidence in what he was formerly able to do. And do you understand this, that that is very bad business for a Christian? It is bad business for Christians to do this, that we sit on our haunches and we remember what we used to do. And we're not really doing anything now, but somehow we think that we banked enough credits that we don't have to do anything now. We're good to go. And so we have our sage, wise Christians that sit in the auditorium and criticize others that are doing so many things when they themselves don't do anything anymore. They don't have anything to do now. They don't serve the church like they did before. But that's a side thought. Peter's problem is that he forgot that God is the one who is actually the cause of his great confession. He forgot that it was Jesus that lifted him up when he started to sink in the sea. And he forgot that he was so special when he was at the transfiguration, but it was the Father that was still teaching him when he said to Peter, you got to shut up now. Somehow, Peter had switched places with God. And now, 
Peter's in charge and God is the responder. And there's a lot of places that I could go with that. I don't have time to go today. But the point is that Peter was too self-reliant. And you know how it shows up as a personality trait? Well, it's in the next piece that caused Peter to fall, and that is his impulsiveness. His impulsiveness. He was prone to charge forward and ask questions later. There was no sound deliberation in his actions. He jumped when he shouldn't jump. He spoke when he shouldn't have spoken. He, was, he challenged when he shouldn't have challenged. Here you have Peter who is this type A personality, the one who needs no advice because he knows all of the answers. You ever meet any Christians like that? Oh, we have some of them. We have church members that are like that. You know, I have, I have 43 years of ministry experience, but they have a better idea. And I'm not talking just about doctrine. I mean, how many think that you could do a better job leading the church? Well, you might. You might be able to do a better job, but I'll tell you this, that you're no better than I am in this area, that if you're going to learn how to do it and receive the strength to do it and do the right thing, you have to have heaven on your side and you have to be able to call on God because you're not going to do this thing for yourself. You're going to end up falling, just as any preacher would who doesn't use the Lord as his resource. But here we have a terrible plague for Christians. We get our eyes on something and we are just determined that it's going to happen. We're going to make it happen come hail or high water. Maybe it's a house that we can't afford. Maybe it's a job that we shouldn't take. And we're just not careful to deliberate on God's terms. What we need to do is to let God bring that thing to us. And it, we, he will bring it to us if it's his will for us to have it. And you'll know it's God's will because when God calls you to do something, you're not going to miss a beat in his service. You know, I used to think that people struggled with God's will. We don't really struggle with God's will because we're not in a fight with it. We're not trying to find out God's will. We are trying to insert our will into what we think God ought to do. And so we're all continually doing this. We're trying to put our square peg into his round hole and we're determined it's going to fit. And so people will say many times, well, I can't figure out God's will. What is it that God wants me to do? Things don't seem to be working. Have you ever thought about how counterproductive it is for God to hide his will? God doesn't hide his will from us. And it's not hard to find. 95% of all of God's will is found right here in the pages of Scripture. And we've had Scripture, parts of it, for 3,500 years and all of it for 2,000 years. So how can somebody say God's will is hidden? Well, God's will is not hidden. And you can wrap everything up that you want to do, everything that you're called to do into this consideration. Will this help me to serve God better? Will it glorify God or will it not? And if the outcome of your decisions leave you far from certain on that question, then you better choose the path where there is no doubt. Well, Peter was too impulsive for deliberations. And more often than not, that led to trouble. Now thirdly, is prayerlessness. Peter was not prepared to meet the trial because he refused to pray. Now do you remember Jesus' command in the garden? This was explicit. He said for them to pray. He said, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How much clearer could that be? Peter, your flesh is weak. Oh, your spirit, it's willing to do the right thing, but your flesh is weak. And that's the classic Christian struggle. 
Peter had this struggle. Paul had this struggle. The greatest leaders in all of Christianity had this struggle. The problem is a willing spirit and deadbeat flesh. Paul said, For I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. So how are you going to overcome the problem? Well, have you ever thought about this? Just listen to Jesus. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. And what did Peter do? Jesus said, watch, Peter slept. Jesus said, pray, Peter slept. And so while Jesus prayed for strength and he received it and he did not fail, Peter slept, he had no strength, he fell into temptation, and he denied Christ three times. So those are steps that lead to failure. Self-confidence, impulsiveness, prayerlessness. And now what is it that just brought out the heart, the feelings of his heart into the open? Well, the fourth thing is companionship. Well, at the very worst moment, with pride and without pensiveness, without prayer, he chose to walk into the teeth of the lion. He chose the wrong companions. And that, and that seems to be an all-too-common trait for Christians that are in the downward spiral. But do you see how it starts? Instead of remaining close to the Lord where there's spiritual safety, verse 58 says that he followed afar off. The more distance that you put between you and Jesus, the more trouble you'll find. Peter chose to sit with the world's servants instead of with God's saints. Now, we need to spend a little bit of time here because this is where we find the real meat of the story. The denials came when Peter was in the middle of the wrong companions. John Butler had an interesting comment. And you, you, you know that I would never say anything from the pulpit like this, so I'm going to let John Butler say it. He said, when a girl shows up with a creepy male she wants to marry, you know she's been in places of evil. For you do not pick up creepy males in good churches and good places you find alley cats in the alley. I'd never say that from the pulpit. Oh, Peter, Peter was in the wrong place. Here he's sitting with servants. In John chapter 18, he stood with them at the fire. So now we find him standing and sitting with the wrong people. Where did you ever hear such things? Does Psalm 1 come to your mind? Surely it must. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So Peter walked afar off, he stood by the fire, he sat with the servants. Do you not think that God knows what he's talking about? Do you think that you can do what God says not to do, and everything will be just fine? Three horrible denials later, Peter found out that you can't. Now, do you remember, he fortified himself in the major trials, persecution, thoughts of death. Those are not going to move him. But here he is with a very simple little thing, just a little maid who came up to him and said, you were also with Jesus. I'm not going to turn there, but in the parallel passage of John 18, Peter was admitted into the courtroom, or courtyard rather, of the high priest by a young girl that was watching the door. Well, not just anybody could get in there. Peter was one who couldn't get in. Now, we don't know how, but the Apostle John was acquainted with the high priest and evidently by this young girl that kept the door. And so she went, he went to this young girl and, and he vouched for Peter. And so the young girl let Peter in to the courtyard. 
Well, that should have been a major tip-off that Peter was a follower of Jesus because if this girl knew John and he was a follower of Jesus, then surely she would know that Peter was a follower. So what Peter did was to just insert himself into a bad situation. He introduced himself here in something that's not going to end well. And this is typical Peter again, instead of staying away because he'd already been warned by Christ, impending failure is coming, yet Peter walked right in. He didn't stay away. Now, can you not look at that and see how Christians often get into trouble? You, you, you're a lot like Peter. You already trust yourself. You, 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 you already fail to pray enough. You're already a bad thinker in so many situations. And then after the warning of scriptures, what kind of associations do you have? Do you find yourself with friends in low places? There's never a good outcome to that. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Now there Paul is speaking of false teachers and evil people, you can't be around them without being corrupted. But you know more than God, don't you? Yeah, sure you do. You've got an argument for that. I've heard it a million times from young people, from girls and from boys and from the old alike. And they'll come to you and they'll say, oh, I've chosen this boyfriend because, or this girlfriend because I know they're not saved, but my good Christian influence, they might get saved. Don't try to outsmart God. That's not his way of evangelism. That is a fleshly, self-reasoned argument. Rarely does that ever work. If you put yourself into bad company, you do bad things. You don't elevate the morality of people that are around you. You sink to their level. You degrade your testimony and you ruin your testimony. You never elevate theirs. So Christians have no business in seamy places with seamy people. Now, I was talking about dating just a moment ago there. And we talk about, you know, the girl that wants to bring the boy and, you know, he's not, a, he's not saved or the other way around. Talking about dating, I, I read a very good rule for dating the other day. And this one, this one applies to boys. And uh, this person said, when you take a girl out on a date, bring her back holier than when you picked her up. Well, how would you do that? Well, this is rarely ever seen, but try to pull out a Bible on a date and see how that goes. Now, Christians, Christians have no business in bars and nightclubs and dark night owl places. If you're out past midnight, you're up to no good. You're not, you're not trying to glorify God at, after midnight. God uses darkness as an emblem of sin, and there's very good reason for it. So here we find Peter with wrong companions. Now he's surprisingly challenged when he thought that he wouldn't be. He started out following Christ. It looked like a good thing. It looked like a good thing even though Jesus warned him. Here's what Calvin observed. Often under the appearance of virtue do believers fling themselves into temptation. Oh, it's virtuous to win souls, isn't it? Of course it is. But folks, it's stupid to walk into places and join with people where temptations are there that can snare you. It's not God's method. So it's a young maiden that caught Peter by surprise and without a threat, without a threat of any kind, he denied Jesus. Verse 69, Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. 
Then we come to the second denial, verse 71. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. Now Peter was a little bit too nervous at the door, so he decided to move a little further out. He went out to the porch and there he met another young girl. And this young girl says, you're also a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. Well, that's kind of interesting because I don't think that either of these girls cared too much either way whether Peter was a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't think they really cared. But here they are in a crowd, and these are two young girls that will be noticed if they've got some news to tell. They'll be noticed if they can tell something that somebody else doesn't know, just share a little information. Oh, and we find lots of people like this. Their joy is to repeat information. To get people's attention by things that they know. So just a bit of gossip or a bit of bad news seems to be the favorite pastime of those kinds of people. Well, at this point, all eyes are on Peter. And he became even more insistent that he didn't know Jesus. He used an oath. An oath that may be similar to this. I swear to God I don't know him. And how bad is it to swear using God's name that you don't know God? So he sins here in multiple ways. In the Sermon on the Mount, you remember Jesus said, you're not to use oaths. Christians don't need to swear. Jesus spoke against it because the Jews were, were always using frivolous oaths in which they brought God's name into common conversation. Let me tell you something, folks. God's name is not common. It doesn't belong in your common, in your common conversations. You want to talk to somebody about a Lord, the Lord, that's different. But don't bring him into your common conversations. So now we have two denials. And then comes a third. It's a little bit hard to piece it together because we have a crowd scene. Depending on where you are, there are different conversations that are going on. People hear different things. You read the four gospel accounts and you might think, well, this, this really doesn't harmonize. Doesn't make much sense, but you've got to remember, there's all these different conversations that are going on. Everybody hears a little bit different thing, or from, depending, depending on what angle that you're at. And so here is Peter standing by the fire. He's warming himself, and there's another person that comes up to him and says, Hey, fellow, you must be one of his disciples. Your speech betrays you. Now, what did he mean by that? Your speech betrays you. Well, Mark and Luke both say that this man said, You're a Galilean. You're a Galilean. I can tell it by the way that you talk. Now, I found this most interesting as I was studying this. The Galileans had a different accent from the Jews in Jerusalem. Now, they spoke the same language, but it sounded different. The, the Jews up north are Yankees. And the ones that are down south, well, they're southerners. And they sound different. You ever notice the way my wife speaks? Some people say that's not even English. But, but it is. That's just Appalachian English. And you can tell my wife's not a Californian. Uh, I don't know how many times that people have come to her and said, you know, we just love the way that you talk. It's just so different. We love the way that you talk. And my wife and I sound different. I think we do, don't we? We're a little bit different. And uh, we were actually born in Kentucky about 80 miles from each other. And that little bit of difference makes the difference in the way that we talk. Well, you might take note of this, that Galilee is about 70 miles, 80 miles from Jerusalem. Now here's a little bit of interesting information from the book of Judges. Judges chapter 12. And the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites 
And it was so that when those Ephraimites which were escaped said, Let me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto him, Art thou an Ephraimite? If he said, Nay, then said they unto him, Say now, Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth, for he could not frame to pronounce it right. Well, the Ephraimites were north of Judah, not very far, but they spoke differently. They were between Judah and Galilee, but their speech was definitely northern. Now, both they and the Galileans had trouble with the guttural sounds that you hear in Semitic languages like Hebrew, Aramaic, and so on. They had trouble making those sounds. Now, here's the real cool thing that I found out about this. Very, very interesting thing to me, that they had trouble making a TH sound. A TH sound. So they would change TH to an S sound or a Z sound. Now, now I asked permission for this illustration. The French also have trouble with some of these sounds. If you ask Gabrielle to say, I left my Bible at the church, then she'll think about that very carefully and she'll say, I left my Bible at the church. But you can't catch her off guard. And what I hear is maybe not what she thinks she's saying. But she says, I left my Bible at the church. Now, you have her explain that to you. She'll say, I'm saying the TH. I'm saying the TH. But I don't hear it that way. I hear the church. Joel talks that way sometimes. And I, he gets that by association, I know. But I don't hear that TH. I hear a Z. That's how you know that Gabrielle is not from Charleston, South Carolina. She's not from around here. Well, this is the way it was to these Jews. Uh, the southern Jews sound like southerners. And so they say to Peter, hey boy, you ain't from around here. So Peter stuck out like a sore thumb. What were they to think? Now he's a Galilean, and those snobby Jews that are in Jerusalem, they think that these guys from the north are hillbillies anyway. And, and they heard Peter speak. He can't hope to go unnoticed if he just opens his mouth. Now, there's another interesting comment in John that we don't find in the other gospel accounts. And this is associated with the same denial, and it's not reported by the others, and for very good reason. John 18, 26 and 27, one of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. Nobody tells this part but John. Why? Well, it's for the same reason that others identified Peter as the one that cut off or didn't identify Peter as the one who cut off a servant's ear. Peter was alive when the other accounts were written. He's dead when John writes, and so the others could not include this information for fear of Peter's life. But here we find the real reason that Peter just freaked out about this. The guy that comes to him happens to be kin to the guy that got his ear cut off. And he looked strangely familiar to him. And he said, you, you were with Jesus, weren't you? I saw you in the garden. That's essentially what he's saying. You're a Galilean. I heard the, hear the way you speak. And that's when Peter let loose with this blue streak of cursing. He flatly denied that he know, knew Christ. And he cursed to prove it. Why did he curse to prove it? Because the people that follow Jesus don't curse, do they? They don't have that kind of language. That's not a part of their vocabulary. So Peter figures, if I curse, then they'll know that I can't be with Jesus. 
Now, folks, let me tell you something about that. Remember what Jesus said, If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father which is in heaven. And you ought to get this. You ought not to be using cursing and using God's name in your language. Deny Christ, he will deny you. Now, what's the big influence here? It's wrong companions. When you walk with sinners and you stand with sinners and you sit with sinners, it's a good chance you're going to sin. And what he should have done was stayed away from that kind of companionship. Well, that's not the end of the story here. Things look bleak. According to Matthew 10, this is a very, very bleak picture. Peter denied Christ three times. And Matthew chapter 10 is looming there in the background. If you deny me, I will deny you. So we come to the third word, very important word, and it's the word conviction. Verse 74, then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. So the rooster crowed, and then these words of Jesus' warning come flooding back into Peter's mind. And this is how we know that Peter was a real Christian, and that's because he could not walk away from this as if nothing mattered. He, he could not deny Christ without just wrenching him out of the inside, the gut wrenching, tying him up in knots, leaving him with a sickening feeling and thinking that he's the most despicable person that ever lived. He recognized sin and he hated himself for it. Well, now you need to see what happened at this very moment, at the very moment. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22 and verse number 59. Luke 22 and verse number 59. The mock trial took about two hours. The interrogation was going on. And you remember that in that interrogation, they beat Jesus with their fist. They hit him in the face. They spat on him. And they mocked him. And then when they were through, they let him out. And do you know that it was at the exact time of this last denial? And it's the exact time that the rooster crowed. This is what Luke tells us, Luke twenty-two fifty-nine, And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Oh, man, man, can you imagine? Can you imagine that scene? Peter denied him for the third time. Jesus was being led out, or perhaps Peter was looking through the window. And at that exact moment when he looked through the window, there is Jesus with puffy eyes, his cheeks swollen, Blood coming from his nose and from his mouth. And Jesus looked at him. And there must have been a pain that shot through every part of his body. I mean, just me telling you about it. If you're a Christian, just hearing that has to put a lump into your throat. What awful conviction. Now, it's blessed conviction in one way because it proves that he really did know Christ. But it's awful in another way because there is nothing worse that you can do than to deny Jesus. So Christ was bitterly betrayed 
and now Peter bitterly weeps. Jesus look and Peter's lament and they come together in this awful moment. Now folks, this is a real Christian. When you sin and the Holy Spirit convicts you, can you stand yourself? Can you know that Christ looks at you through swollen eyes and he reaches down with a nail-scarred hand and he says, look what I did for you. And now what are you doing to me? Can you do that and not feel the pain of it? Well, if you can continue with sin without repentance, then you don't know him. And he's going to deny you before his heavenly father. Peter didn't continue in the denial. He was convicted. He stopped denying Christ. We never see Peter denying again. We never see Peter afraid again. Instead, what we find is Peter preaching the gospel with power and proper conviction. We find him, as Paul called him, Peter, who is the pillar of the church. We find him not as Peter who denied Christ three times, but as he was in that first confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, very quickly, I have two great lessons that you need to know, and I'm going to just do these very, very briefly. There's a reason this story is preserved for us. One reason is it's used to teach us forgiveness. That there is no sin that cannot be forgiven when you come to Jesus Christ in repentance. Now later, after the resurrection, Jesus met the disciples on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And at that time, Peter was Jesus' main focus of attention. Three times, you remember, that Jesus asked Peter, Do you love me? Three times, one for each denial. Peter, do you love me? And Peter said that he did. And the end of that conversation was that Jesus gave him a commission to go and feed his sheep. So Peter was restored. He was forgiven of his sin of denying Jesus. That's what happens when you repent. But the second lesson here we find in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Don't ever think that you're too spiritual, that you are too knowledgeable, you are too powerful, you are too holy, that you are too big to fall. You will fall if you're prideful, impulsive, without prayer, and you keep bad company. You will fall. So what's best for you? Stay close to Jesus. Don't, don't cause him to reach down his nail-scarred hand and pick you up. Now, he'll do it. I promise you that he'll do it. But don't make him do that. Stay close to him. Stay close. And you'll never deny Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now and we confess our great sin of how many times, almost every day, that by bad actions, by bad associations, by bad words, whatever, we're de we deny you. Lord, I pray that you'd put it into your heart of your, in the heart of your people to stick close to you, to pray, be steadfast, watchful, as the scriptures tell us to do. We don't want to fall into denial of you. Then, Lord, now I pray for some lost sinner here. Their whole life is denial. And it'll always be denial until they come to you in repentance and faith and trust you as Lord and Savior. Lord, speak to our hearts today. Help us, help us just to be what you'd have us to be, to never have to think that you would reach down and have to lift us up because we have been so faithless to you. Keep us on top where we don't have to do that. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.